When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Love is in the air, and I love y'all just about as much as Deion Sanders loves the transfer portal. Welcome into the Hard Count, the people show for every single thing that you know, that we all know and love about this beautiful game that happens here every single day. We are live on a Valentine's Day morning, fired up to have you along for the ride. We have a ton to jump into. You and I both noticed the Pac-12 put out a little statement which essentially said, hey, we're fine. Do not worry about us. We're in some good talks, having good discussions. Don't worry about us. What does that mean when somebody goes out of their way to tell you that it's all good? We'll talk about that. The ripple effect of Texas and Oklahoma is starting to be felt. There's more than just the conference realignment piece to it, but we got to unpack that just a little bit. Coach Prime, I said it to start the whole thing off. My guy loves the transfer portal. But what is the key ingredient to success in year one? There's a lot of key variables, but what is the one factor that could allow Colorado to be successful in the 2023 season? The SEC pre-spring power rankings. How about that? Spring football just around the corner. These are not predictions. These are not the standings that I see us landing at in January of 2024. But I do think we need to just take a look at the pecking order as we head into spring football. They're going to change. Never too early to do some power rankings, though. How about Nebraska? Jumping into year one of the coach rule era. And for Nebraska fans, there's the similar emotion that you felt in different off seasons. It's the shy optimism, the cautious feeling of, can we trust what's about to happen? Do we have permission to be excited? Learning to trust again. The Nebraska mantra for the past few years. I'm going to unpack that and just sort of walk through this whole thing together. It can be a little bit unsettling, can be unfamiliar territory for some people, but I think there's a lot to unpack. I think there's a lot to chew on, if you will. Then at the end of this whole thing, you know how we get down around here. If you haven't yet followed me on Twitter, would encourage you to do so at JD Pakel. We got some great questions from y'all, some thoughts, some concerns. I call it college football therapy. We all need somebody to talk to. We all need some things to unpack and get off our chest. We're going to do just that at the end of the show as y'all join the party. And I can't wait for it. I'm fired up. Like I said, it's a morning. we got the caffeine flowing. Nick Brake holding it down on the ones and twos, lifting heavy. We're fired up to have you along for the ride. I want to take a pause before we get too far into the show and just say that our thoughts and prayers are with the entire Michigan State community right now. Absolutely tragic, horrifying and unsettling to say the least that there's no adequate words I can put to how we feel about that situation. I just wanted to at the very least offer up our, our thoughts and prayers to that entire community as we're all thinking about y'all this morning. No, no real natural or easy way to transition out of that. Um, but we're going to go ahead and move forward as we, we get rolling here, talking a little bit about the, uh, the conference realignment that is going on throughout the entirety of college football but there's a ripple effect, I think, that is being felt from Texas and Oklahoma deciding to leave early for the SEC. 
Last week, we all found out Texas and Oklahoma going to be headed to the SEC just a little bit early for a smooth $100 million. Everybody has a price. We found out that's what it costs. But beyond just Texas and Oklahoma, what is this going to impact? What does this mean for college football as a whole? And I think we saw the first droplets of what it's going to mean, that the first inkling of how this is going to impact the sport when the Pac-12 came out last night and released a statement. Going to talk about that in just a second, but as a whole, if I were to put a headline over the first ripple effect we're going to feel is conference realignment is a game of musical chairs. Music starts playing, and everybody is circling around these different conferences, these different teams, and when that music stops, you better have a chair. You better be a have when that music stops. And in 2024 is when I anticipate that music starting to, if not stop, at least turn the volume down a little bit. You're going to have the Big Ten with 16 teams, the SEC with 16 teams, the ACC with 14 teams, the Big 12 with 12 teams, and the Pac-12 with 10 teams. Again, that's assuming chalk holds as it is right now. But all that this did with the SEC and Oklahoma and Texas deciding they want to join that conference early, to me, just turn the music a little bit faster. It, it sped up this entire game of musical chairs. Because last night, the Pac-12 came out with a statement, and I'm not going to read it for you, but the paraphrasing of it all is, hey, we've had good conversations. We've had good conversations with the powers that be when it comes to media rights and other schools, and we're okay. All right, don't worry about the Pac-12 over here. We're good. We're going we're to be just fine. We're, we're uh, progressing, if you will. Y'all, what does that usually mean when somebody comes outright and says, we're fine, don't worry about us. Do not worry about us one bit, we are gonna be okay. And everyone's like, did you ask them? I didn't ask them. I didn't ask them if they were okay. That usually means everything is not okay. And far be it for me to say the Pac-12 is going to be in a bad position, but right now, the chairs are starting to go off the board. The teams are starting to go off the board. And less teams in today's college football world as we move toward the super conference era means less money. In the college football playoff expansion era, it could mean less relevance. I'm just saying, the music is now moving quicker, and the Pac-12 is sensing that. Put out this statement. There's a lot of smoke around them adding San Diego State and adding SMU. Pac-12 Commissioner George Klievkoff went to an SMU basketball game, I believe it was last week. So that's very much so a way this is moving. But I'm just telling you, the Pac-12 is a buyer right now when it comes to the future of college football. They're looking to add teams. I would also be surprised if the Big 12 doesn't look to add teams. Like I said, they're going to be at 12 if everything stays the same when it gets to 2024, which is also when USC and UCLA will be joining the Pac-12, when, like we already told you, Texas and OU will be joining the SEC, the Big 12 is going to be aggressive. Brett Yormark was the former CEO of Rock Nation, okay? He's got an entertainment background. He doesn't see the tradition and prestige or, or different things like that. And in today's college football, as much as it pains me to say it, as much as I just feel sick even telling you this, that's not what it's about anymore. It's about brands. It's about dollars and cents. That is what is driving the bus in the whole realignment conversation. So with this early move from Texas and OU to the SEC, the music, it's picking up a little bit. Maybe it was a lower pitch before, but if you ever have had a 
vinyl player. We just got one actually at my house. It's phenomenal. You can turn the pitch up and it sounds like Alvin and the Chipmunks and that song starts playing faster. That's what is happening right now with Texas and OU. Now there's ripple effects outside just the realignment perspective. That's the first one that I think needs to be taken into account. And the Pac-12 is definitely taking that into account. More on that in just a second. But if you have not yet subscribed, we'd love to have you all a part of this community. We're live twice a week here, Tuesday and Thursday. Hit the bell to make sure you don't miss a minute of it. We're glad to have you a part of this community. Also, follow me on the socials at JD Pakel on Twitter as well as on Instagram. Now, the SEC is going to obviously add Texas and OU, and we talk a lot about OU and Texas improving their reach when it comes to having the SEC branding, when it comes to having the SEC patch on the jersey and being able to recruit in different places. I think that's true, but what about the other side of the coin? What about the other side of this whole thing? What about the rest of the SEC and their reach? I don't think that's being taken into account yet enough. Because if I am a Dallas prospect, four-star, five-star, whatever you want to put to it, maybe I play at Denton Geyer, maybe I play at Duncanville High School. If I'm a baller and I'm in Dallas and I want to stay home where I want to be around my family, I want them to be able to come to my games every now and then. If I'm Alabama, I can make a pitch that I couldn't make before. Or if I'm any school in the SEC, I can make some different pitches. Now, the scheduling is obviously still being nailed down, and so we'll, we'll see what happens there. But there's a very much possible scenario where if I go to an SEC school that's not in the state of Texas or not at Oklahoma, I could still have a, have a year where I'm playing three different games that are three hours from my house in Dallas. A&M in College Station, DKR in Austin, Roman, Oklahoma. Like th Those are all now in the SEC footprint. And I'm not saying this is going to dramatically change the game for Georgia and Alabama or LSU on the recruiting trail, but I'm just telling you, maybe it's one or two players, maybe it's two to three players to now have that boost in the SEC in Big 12 country. I think it just takes a bat to the geographical fence that was being put up in terms of the recruiting landscape. I'm not saying it knocks it all the way down, but it's definitely a little bit more loose. There's definitely some holes that the Big 12 had previously had up. Maybe Alabama or, or heck, maybe a school like Florida is stepping through that now with a little bit more ease. They've always recruited nationally well. These schools in the SEC, the big boys still go and get who they want. But I think it's worth noting now, adding Texas and OU is going to bolster the other schools recruiting in the SEC when it comes to Big 12 country. That's a scary thing for the rest of college football, man. It just is. To have access to more talent, even just if it's 1% or 2% of those players that wanted to stay in that region, the game's changing. And I think it's going to eventually start to leak in and hurt some of those other schools in the Big 12, especially as this realignment world continues to turn. What about the Baylors of the world, the TCUs of the world, the Oklahoma States of the world? Now you got to deal with the pitch that other big boys can make and say, yeah, we'll, we'll play games in your backyard. At least twice during your college career, you will have a stretch where your family can come and see you play. Also with NIL, now maybe you can get them to more, to more games, but it's a scary thing for the rest of the college football landscape. Now, as a fan base, the ripple effect, I think, is going to be a little bit more of a rude awakening 
maybe rude awakening is a harsh verbiage to use, but you hear what I'm saying. Whereas previously, you were fighting for a Big 12 conference title against TCU and Kansas State. That's great. You are now viewing success through Alabama Crimson Tide and Georgia Bulldog colored glasses. For example, Tennessee, I don't think it's a stretch. I have very good confidence they would have won the Big 12 a season ago. When 11-2 took Clemson to the woodshed, like they were a team that I have full confidence could have beat Kansas State. Don't believe me, look what Alabama did at Kansas State. And Tennessee beat Alabama. So I very, very much believe that Tennessee could have won the Big 12. Now, Tennessee didn't even play for a conference title in the SEC. And I'm not here to dunk on Tennessee. I'm here to tell you, if you're Oklahoma or Texas, you have to now recalibrate how you view success. Or whether you like it or not, you do recalibrate how you view success. A nine-win season probably could have put you into the Big 12 championship game. However, an 11-win season for Tennessee, and they're watching the SEC title game at home. So in terms of fan base expectations and fan base satisfaction, that's going to be something now that we have to deal with as a college football community. It may be a thing of, okay, we didn't win the SEC. Well, we're a 12 seed in the college football playoff, or we're a nine seed in the college football playoff. That's the benefit, and I think that's probably the silver lining here. But when it comes to the conference play, it is no longer, hey, let's win 10 games. We'll be good to get a Jerry World. No, 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 no. You have to fight and scratch and claw in your measuring stick that was previously maybe yourself if you're Oklahoma or yourself if you're Texas or maybe it was the Baylor and the Kansas States. Your measuring stick is now Nick Saban, Kirby Smart. Keep an eye on Josh Heupel in Tennessee. Like That is the new tier you are trying to reach which is a little bit higher up on the shelf. Again, not to knock the Big 12, which I keep on saying, but that is now the ripple effect that fans are going to feel when they start watching these SEC kind of games for Texas and OU. So there's a lot of ripple effects. Again, the conference realignment, musical chairs game, the music is speeding up. I think the other SEC powers now have more juice on the recruiting trail when it comes to recruiting Big 12 country, which could be bad news for the Big 12. But if you're a fan of Oklahoma and Texas, the measuring stick by which you judge success has changed drastically. And you are viewing success now through the lens of what did Alabama do? What did Georgia do? The comparison now has completely changed for those fan bases. But that's going to be a lot of fun when that gets here, man. I'm telling you, the SEC is going to be loaded, loaded with talent. And also the Big Ten gets USC and UCLA. So the Super Conference era, we just continue to move Toward. Shout out to everybody that's watching live right now. Shout out to the podcast, whether you're watching on Apple, whether you're watching on Spotify, or I guess listening rather. We appreciate you. We're glad to have you a part of this. We're glad to keep this thing rolling. Fired up to be here with you on a Valentine's Day Tuesday. Let's talk about Deion Sanders and what he is going to attempt to do in year one at Colorado. Now, I have said here before, the schedule is brutal. The task is brutal to try and rebuild Colorado to get back to competitive. And I think the goal should be, let's, let's make a bowl game. Like, if you can make a bowl game after going 1-11 last year as Colorado, that would be success in my book. Now, what is the key variable to making that happen? There's a lot of things that you look at, transfers, meshing, the team coming together from a culture standpoint. But when I look at the entire project that is Colorado, the key variable to me 
is Shadur Sanders hitting the ground running. And it's a fair conversation to have because when you look at the level of competition from the FCS level of college football to the FBS level, it's difficult. It is a jump. Far be it for me to say Shador Sanders can't do it. He had big-time offers out of high school from pretty much anywhere else in the country, tons of Power 5 offers, decided to go to Jackson State to play under his father, Deion Sanders. Credit to him for that. I love it. But it is a different game. Defenses are bigger. They're faster. The alignments are different because of that. That safety, he's allowed to align a little bit closer to the middle of the field because he has ridiculous speed and he can cover more ground. He can play hash to boundary, whereas in the FCS level, there's not as many guys that can do that. So I might be reading the safety pre-snap and that read in the FBS pre-snap is different than what it is in the FCS. That's an adjustment. The windows close clicker, excuse me, close quicker. I got to be on time in my quick game. I cannot get that out route out late. Otherwise, it's pick six the other way. I got to be on it, man. I can't get away with some of those wow plays that maybe I got away with at the FCS level. Again, I'm not here to dunk on the FCS. I played FCS football. I love the FCS, but I also grad transferred to Baylor and got a pretty good taste of what that feels like and what that speed of the game is like. It's just different. Now, Shadur Sanders, I'm sure, has a little bit more ability than yours truly that's why i'm behind the mic and that's why he's about to go play at colorado but you hear what i'm saying it is a jump and it is an adjustment how quickly he makes that adjustment is going to be paramount to colorado being successful in year one it's a different game fcs to fps how quickly he adjusts will be the difference maker if you have not yet subscribed would love to have you a part of this college football content every single day live twice a week Love to have you a part of this operation. Also, follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at JD Pekel. Just want to hear from y'all. Want to do more of what you want to see. So go ahead and jump in the chat. Get after us here in the, in the live show. Get at me in the DMs on Twitter as well as on Instagram. So why is this so important? Why is it so important for Colorado to have success under Shadur Sanders? Why is it important for him to hit the ground running? There is so much that your quarterback does for you. There is so much that he's responsible for to where if Shadur Sanders is on his P's and Q's, if he's keeping it tight early, he can be the equalizer for what Colorado doesn't have. He can be the eraser for some of the weaknesses that Colorado might have in year one from their 1-11 season last year. Some examples of that. You can dial in the quick game if you're able to be good with your your slants and your out concepts, you're able to be good on the, on the hitches and quick game and be in rhythm and process it all quickly. Well, guess what? That makes your offensive line's job a ton easier. And that will be a makeshift offensive line. Hear me loud and clear. Those will be a group of guys that have not played together before. Patchwork from the portal. The line last year was one of the worst in FBS based on what the numbers tell us. But if we get the ball out of our hands on time, we're catch, rock, throw. We're three steps, get it out. Like, offensive line doesn't have, to, doesn't have to block for five seconds. You can just get a piece of your man, balls out. Cool, we're good. Move the sticks. You can play a different style. Also, if you're able to be successful through the air, Shadur Sanders is dialed in. He's wheeling and dealing. Secondary is having to account for what he's going to do throwing the football with the weapons they're going to have, and they've done a lot in the point back. Cavassier Smoke, transfer from Kentucky. He's a dude now. I'm just telling you, my guy can tote the rock. Don't let him get rolling having a balanced attack offensively. It changes the game. If Shador Sanders is on his game, and if he's dialed in early, 
the operation for Colorado is different and the way defenses have to play them is different. Now, here's the deal. When a car is being put together, when, when a car is on the road, it doesn't matter what the condition of the car is. It matters how comfortable is that driver. If Shador Sanders is comfortable, the Colorado car is in good shape. And in the Pac-12 conference, you don't need to play smash-mouth football. You don't need to have a rock-solid defense and a super-tough running game. It helps. Shoot, that's how Utah won the conference last year, but you don't need that to be competitive. Just having Shadour Sanders on his game will make them competitive. Look across the conference. USC, Caleb Williams, great quarterback. Oregon, Bo Nix, great quarterback. Washington, Michael Penix Jr., believe he led the country in passing yards. Utah, Cam Rising. This is a quarterback-driven conference, more so, I would say, across any other conference in the country right now, or as much as, at least. If Colorado and Shadour Sanders can get rolling early, they're going to give themselves a chance. Now, how they'll actually win games going forward, how they'll actually have success, sustained success, the defense is going to have to get it going. And they've retooled that defense. Cormani McLean, I expect to get early playing time. Travis Hunter, don't think it's a secret. He's going to play right away. They've got a lot of guys that are going to contribute early, that they're transferring in and sort of retooling the defense. But that might take a second to gel. That might take a second to get perfectly meshed together. Now, if the offense can score some points and put some pressure on the opposing defense, it might allow the defense to, to take a second and to mesh. Defense may not have to win you games that first six games if the offense is rolling. But as you wear on throughout the season, as players get dinged up, as you get more film on the offense, as things start to become a little bit less of a cat and mouse game strategically, that's when you need the defense to step up. But if you can buy time as the offense, again, the offense, meaning Shador Sanders, that is how you will be successful in year one at Colorado. So Shador Sanders, I believe, without a shadow of a doubt, is the key to them being successful going forward. It is a jump from the FCS to the FBS level, I promise you. There is a difference. Caliber of player, speed of the game, strategy, it's all different. How quickly he adjusts, will be the difference maker. If he can adjust, the offense changes completely. You can't just key on one variable of this offense. The run game gets going. The offensive line has an easier job. A lot of pressure is on Shadour Sanders, but with great pressure comes great reward. In Colorado, I promise you, they're not just there to make a bowl game. Like we're talking about that right now, they have their sights set on much more. So I Hope and pray that we're able to get to a Colorado game this coming season and take you on the road with us. That'd be incredible. But I'm telling you, their success will be predicated on what Shadour Sanders can do. And if he can get rolling early, the defense, and then catch up, that's how Colorado's going to be dangerous. Got the pieces, but do they have the right driver? Is the driver able to get comfortable, Shadour Sanders? I'm excited to see it. Very, very excited to see it telling you, man, Colorado's the gift that keeps on giving. Colorado, I think, is probably the most talked about college football program this entire offseason by any outlet, not just us. Like, Shadour Sanders will be the difference maker for them. So I can't wait to watch that. Appreciate everybody tuned in live again. Appreciate the podcast. Spring football's almost here. Spring football is not that far away, y'all. We'll do some power rankings, huh?
Let's take a look at this whole thing. Now I want to give a, a preface. This is pre-spring, meaning subject to change. And these are very much so not predictions, okay? These are power rankings heading into spring football. So we'll probably revisit this and give you an updated list, if you will. But I'm going to give you my top five in the SEC as we head into the beautiful reality that is spring football. It's almost here. Winter conditioning is going on right now. You're paying your dues. It is the, uh, the, the dark days of college football. If you're a player, spring football is almost here. Finally get to put the pads on, start playing with the rock again. But at number five for me, I got the South Carolina Gamecocks. They were eight and five last season. Yet again, overachieving, costing a lot of people in Las Vegas some money. Big Mo is in the building. As director of recruiting for on three, Chad Simmons likes to say, momentum has arrived in Columbia. They finished the year with back-to-back -to -back top 10 wins. In both games, they were double-digit underdogs. Now, on top of that, you bring back Spencer Rattler, you bring back Juice Wells, his favorite target, and you add a Nicholas Harbor who I would imagine will end up seeing the field early. Coach Beamer says as a wide receiver, there's the whole ain't no telling factor with South Carolina. And what I mean by that, with those two cats coming back, Rattler and Wells, we saw how they finished the year. Ain't no telling what they could do in 2023. They have, imagine if they take another step. Imagine if they play an entire season, how they finished the year in 2022. That's problems for the SEC. That is problems for the entire country because South Carolina just continues to trend upward. They continue to gather steam. They continue to build and progress. Credit Coach Beamer, credit that locker room, credit that culture because that is phenomenal, especially how the Florida game went for them. The Florida game went for, I mean, they were anemic offensively. They couldn't do anything defensively. And, and from that game, there was a whole lot of eyeballs on South Carolina saying, what are you going to do now? Uh, essentially got Delta knockout blow on the chin. Can you get up off the canvas? And they did to the tune of two top 10 wins, like I already told you. So to compete for an SEC title, I think that would take an enormous effort by both Rattler and Wells, like I just told you. But the defense has to improve. The defense has got to take major strides in the spring. They gave up right around 200 yards a game on the ground last season. In the SEC, in the trenches conference, you can't do that and expect to compete for some hardware. So that's the next step for them, in my opinion. But South Carolina, I'm telling you, that ain't no telling factor with them is very dangerous. But for us, they're number five on the pre-spring pre power rankings. They're always dangerous with Coach Beamer at the helm. If you're not yet subscribed, we'd love to have you lock in with us. We've got college football content every single day on this channel, on the show, The Hard Count. We appreciate you in advance for doing so. Also, if you have not yet liked the video, now would be a great time for you to do that. It helps us do more of what you want to see. So go ahead and just click that like. Make sure you're subscribed. All that in a bag of chips. We appreciate you following me on the socials at JD Piquel. Now at number four, we're probably going to get some pushback for this. But onward we go. LSU Tigers. And you're saying, are LSU, how are they not top two? They competed for an SEC title last year. They were in the big game. They're going into year two under Brian Kelly. Jaden Daniels is back. I hear you. All right, I hear you. But again, this is power rankings heading into spring. So these could change. I'm not predicting how LSU is going to finish. For me, for LSU, it's still about the destination. 
It's still about where they're going to be under Brian Kelly. They're still processing. They're still getting there. They're still developing. Last year, LSU played four one-score games. They went three and one in those one-score games. All I'm saying is, imagine a couple plays go differently in those three games that they won in, okay, seven-win football team. It's not great, right? For me, the consistency factor has to improve at LSU. The Tennessee game left a lot to be desired. The way they finished the year at Texas A&M was extremely disappointing. For LSU, that next step is the, the culture maturing and processing even more. Now, don't get it twisted. They got a lot under the hood. There is a lot to be excited about at LSU. Like I already told you, Jaden Daniels, if he could take another step as a passer, that would change the entire complexion of LSU. Harold Perkins, he's going to be on a lot of watch lists for different preseason awards that are going to be coming out here in the not-too-distant future. Like, There's a lot to like about LSU. But the consistency for me and the teams that are ahead of them just make it difficult right now to put them any higher than four right now. Not saying they can't do it. Far be it for me to bet against Brian Kelly. But right now for me, the LSU Tigers, I think four is a fair spot to put them. Again, we're going to get pushback, but here we go. At number three, you got the Tennessee Volunteers. And they beat a team that's ahead of them on this list. 1,000% true. Right now, it's about staying ahead of schedule. You're going into year three of the Hypo era, and they talked about it a lot after the Orange Bowl victory. This is just the start. This is just the start. We're, we're building towards more. The bad news, lose your all-everything quarterback, Henry Hooker. You lose Jalen Hyatt, who I believe just got a nice NIL deal with uh, Hyatt Hotels. So shout out Hyatt for doing the right thing. The good news is I think the offense is going to be fine. Okay, Josh Heupel is a verified wizard when it comes to the offensive playbook that he's got in place there in, in Knoxville. Joe Milton is the key variable for me for them going forward. Now, is he going to be Orange Bowl Joe that we saw just absolutely tearing up Clemson? Dude was in Uncle Rico mode, just absolutely dropping dimes, making it look effortless. Was like throwing a Nerf football out there. Like, is, is he going to be that consistently in 2023? Or is he reverting back to what Tennessee fans were concerned about when he was transferring to Knoxville? And what Michigan fans like to scream very loudly from the back row that struggles with accuracy. He overthrows players. His arm strength is his greatest strength and his greatest weakness. Like, I didn't see that in the Orange Bowl. I'm just telling you that I lean more towards betting on Joe Milton than against him, but if he's able to be as effective as he was in the Orange Bowl, they have no ceiling, okay? That's just the reality. Now, the thing that could handicap them, the thing that could be the Achilles heel for them, is that secondary has to improve, man. Secondary has to get better. Giving up 287 yards a game last year, throwing the football. That's the difference right there, y'all. That is the difference. That was the South Carolina game to me. The South Carolina game, it sounds like there were other, other things that were swirling around that program at the time, but still, the consistency on the back end has to be there. And they've got players. We've seen them do good things week in and week out, but can they consistently do that? Can that be who they are every single week? Because I saw you light it up against Kentucky, had something like three interceptions, really took a hit to Will Levis's draft stock, excuse me, draft stock, and the South Carolina game happens like, can we get some consistency? Can we have an elevated threshold of what the floor of that secondary is? That's the key to me. 
because they've got the talent. They've got a lot of pieces. Like I said, the offense, I wholeheartedly believe, will score points in Knoxville this coming year. But can the secondary improve? And can Joe Milton consistently be who he's shown as he is from that Orange Bowl? So for me, Tennessee went 11-2 last year, New Year's Six Bowl victory. Number three this year, can they continue to improve? I'm excited to watch it. Now, the pushback is going to be, will we beat Alabama? I 1,000% understand. I 100% agree. I'm not predicting you to lose to Alabama. But going into the spring, Alabama's at two for me. And all this comes down to for me is, do you want to bet against Nick Saban? The answer for me is no. New coordinators, new quarterback, a lot of newness, but Nick Saban is still the, the GOAT and still the head coach to Alabama. And if we know anything about Alabama, if we know anything about Nick Saban and the history of how they respond to multiple lost seasons, a lot of times, more often than not, it ends up being a national championship kind of year. Like Alabama being in hunting mode is extremely scary, and that is what I wholeheartedly believe they're in right now. My personal feel on it is Nick Saban is just going to simplify the entire formula. No more Pete Golding. No more Bill O'Brien. Read into those departures as much as you want to, but you got Tommy Reese and Kevin Steele now as the new OC in D.C. And I think it's going to be a simple formula. I think it's going to be Alabama's coming right at you. They still have the best, if not one of the best rosters, not just this conference in America. Alabama is still Alabama, y'all. Like, you don't turn your back on a hungry dog. You don't turn your back on Alabama right now. I'm not betting against Saban. The roster alone, paired with Saban, puts them at number two for me. They're still going to have to prove it, and they're still going to have to show me that they have something at quarterback that can not replace Bryce Young, but just be sustainable going forward. The skill players also will have to take a step forward because last year it felt a lot like Bryce Ball every other Saturday. Set Hut, number nine, do something for us, brother. Need you to make a play for us to win this football game. And he did a lot of the time. But can they, as a unit in this new offense, raise the bar back to what Alabama has been in the past? That's the key variable for me. Because the talent isn't the question. They recruit five stars about as well as anybody else in the country. Haven't been outside the top two in terms of recruiting class rankings since like dinosaurs roamed the earth. Since Nick Saban was in diapers. Like it's been that long for Alabama. I'm exaggerating, but you feel what I'm saying. A lot of good players in Tuscaloosa. The best in the country. Can they put it together? It's the question mark. That's why they're at two for me. Behind who everybody probably has as the number one team in the SEC, if not the country, Georgia Bulldogs. Coach Kirby Smart and the 15-0 dogs from 2022. Nick, Nick Brakenauer there to watch them just do ridiculous things to the TCU Horn Frogs in SoFi Stadium. Obviously, we all know what happened there, 65-7. to seven. My wife texted me during the game and said, are people laughing? It was like second quarter and George was just rolling, and I was like, no, but it, it's kind of an uncomfortable feeling right now based on what George is doing. The dogs are the team to beat. And that's, not, that's, that's probably underselling how dominant they've been the last two seasons. Going for a three-peat, they are very, very firmly the king of the hill. And they've got a lot of key pieces coming back. Brock Bowers, I've told you, I think he's going to be the best player in college football next year. Javon Bullard was the MVP defensively of that national title game. He is a heat-seeking missile. Filling on the run. One of the best slot defenders in the entire country last year. Todd Munkin, at the time of us being live right now, still the OC. 
Still got Will Muschamp and Glenn Schumann running the defense. Like, there's a lot of pieces in place to run it back. Now, the key piece, and it's funny to say this, Stetson Bennett, quarterback that you won two national titles with, no longer with you. Is it going to be Carson Beck, Brock Vandergriff, Gunnar Stockton has gotten a ton of love from the UGA faithful in our comment section, so we appreciate y'all for that. Reminding us Gunnar Stockton's still that guy. It's going to be someone who is highly touted, highly recruited, a lot of ability. But the fact remains, they haven't done it without Stetson Bennett, which is funny for as much scrutiny as he got throughout his college career nationally, let alone in Athens, they got to do it without Stetson Bennett. Because in 2021, did they win it because of him? Probably not. Defense was sensational. In 2022, he took his game to a new level and cemented himself as a goat in Athens. Kirby Smart's words, not mine. So take it up with Coach Smart. If they do it again, if they're a three-peat, not only are they the king of the hill, I said this before earlier in the week, if they win it a third time in a row, dynasty, history, all that, but they just put a fence around the college football mountaintop and start building real estate up there. Like if, if they do it a third time, that is the epitome of dominance. And so I don't know how you put them anywhere else besides number one in the country, absolutely number one in the SEC power rankings for us, but it's going to be a dogfight. You and I know it. It's going to be a dogfight. So all five of these teams we will probably revisit after the spring, maybe during spring. It's going to be a lot of fun. So South Carolina at five for us, LSU at four. Tennessee at three, Bama at two, the Georgia Bulldogs defending national champions at number one in our pre-spring SEC power rankings. Not predictions, but power rankings. Also, little teaser for you. Little teaser. Some exciting news. Coach Shane Beamer will be joining us on Thursday's hard count. It'll be Thursday morning, 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, He's going to be joining the show. We are fired up. Our first head coach to have a part of the program. And I've, I've said it before. If there's any coach that I could commit to right now, if I had any eligibility left in this washed up frame, I'm going to South Carolina, man. Special culture, a lot of juice. You don't want to miss that one again. 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central. Coach Shane Beamer joining the hard count. Fired up for that one. That should be a whole lot of fun. All right, let's keep this thing rolling. Nebraska fans, let's have a conversation. You've been hurt before. You've been hurt the last couple off-seasons. Every single off-season, you're drinking the Kool-Aid and having people like me telling you, hey, it's, it's okay to hope. It's okay to have some trust. I said it this past off-season, and I believed it wholeheartedly. But I think there is a new approach you need to take with trusting Nebraska and trusting Matt Rule. Because with Matt Rule... I think the, the view needs to be taken of not so much a dating relationship, like maybe it's felt in the past. Can I trust Coach Frost? Can I trust what they're going to do this coming season? Can, can I trust them? Can I trust them with my heart? I don't think that's how you view Matt Rule in this whole experience. Rather than a first date or a dating relationship, you view this Coach Rule era as a personal trainer. And the reality with a personal trainer that first year First few workouts, you don't feel very good. Your body is beat up. You are sore. You break down the muscle to then build it back up. So I'm telling you, it's not a first date with Coach Rule. This is the first couple workouts. And I'm telling you, the first couple workouts, from experience, I can tell you, they're not fun, all right? 
They're not fun. They prepare you for this entire operation. Now, what I would say, though, Matt Rule and Scott Frost, vastly different. And I'm not here to talk down on Scott Frost, but I am here to tell you they're different characters. Just look at the resume. Scott Frost, successful Power 5 coordinator and position coach, was a Group of 5 head coach when he got to Nebraska. And a lot of people, myself included, thought that was a great hire for Nebraska. Former quarterback, gets the culture, gets what Nebraska has been where the, when they're successful. That's great. But still, the credentials were a Group of 5 head coach. He had never been a Power 5 head coach. Now, Matt Rule comes to you having been a group of five head coach as well, but also he was a power five head coach. And when he took over Baylor, I cannot stress this enough, Baylor was at the epitome of ground zero. Baylor was, was in a very, very bad way when he got there. Before you know it, in three years, playing for a conference title. That first year was rough for him at Temple and at Baylor, but there's a process that he has in place. There's a way that he does things, a way that his staff does things, that has proven results at the group of five and at the power five level. So the credentials and the resume is very, very different from Scott Frost and Matt Rule. I think Matt Rule has a lot of what Nebraska needs. More on that in just a second. If you have not yet subscribed to the On3 YouTube channel, no time like the present. Come on and join the party. We'd love to have you a part of this. Also, follow me on social media at JD Paquel on Twitter as well as on Instagram. Matt Rule has a lot of what Nebraska needs. Nebraska doesn't need a new trendy scheme, the next great thing in terms of offensive or defensive approach. They don't need somebody to be great with the boosters. Sure, it helps. It's never a negative to have somebody that knows how to communicate well with boosters and communicate well with a crowd, which he does, actually. But it's not what Nebraska needs. You don't need a rah-rah guy. You don't need somebody to have a great soundbite for... A hype video. That, that's not what you need at Nebraska. You've had that before. You've had all that before. That's fine. What you need at Nebraska is someone who is going to reinstall a winning culture and who's going to be able to evaluate with the best of them. We'll start there with the evaluation. The Big Ten West, you've probably heard me say this before, you're recruiting the same caliber kind of player. That's not to knock on who they recruit. It's just you're going after the same kind of guy. Three-star, maybe four-star Every now and then you'll find a five-star, but it's really that three- to four-star range. Can you recruit the three-star with the, the skills and the tools that you can be successful with and develop them to be an NFL draft pick? That's what Matt Rule has a proven track record of doing. Now, on culture, I think that's arguably more important because I just told you, you're recruiting the same kind of player. So at a base level, the talent across the board with who you're playing, for the time being at least, is relatively similar. Now, can you have the culture that's going to allow you to separate. And culture isn't just how you take the field. It's not just what you have on your wall in the weight room and in your meeting rooms. That's all well and good, and I believe in that, and I believe that Matt Rule will have that to the nth degree. But culture is a way of preparing. Culture is a confidence, a swagger about yourself. Culture is caring about the right things. And Matt Rule's brand, toughest, most competitive, hardest-working team in the country. That is what they will be. That is what he will preach. And Nebraska... Hasn't had that in spades. And when is culture revealed? In game. When is culture revealed in game? When it's close, when it's late, when you have a chance to take the life of the opponent, to take the wind out of their sails, you got to do it. When it's crunch time, that's when you find out what culture is. And why I say that's lacking at Nebraska, the past two seasons, 
Nebraska has lost a total of 13 games by one score. Just, uh, just right in the chest. I know. That's why we're having this conversation. The trust. Can you trust Matt Rule? I'm telling you, the culture that he has in place and the way they do things, that's going to equip them to get over the hump in those games. I wholeheartedly believe that. The new culture that's going to be installed. It's a buzzword. It's a cliche, but it's a cliche because it's true. Matt Rule is bringing that to the table here. That's what Nebraska needs. Now, in year one, what can you expect? What can you expect in year one? I told you there's a level of uncomfortability that's going to be in play here. It's not just a first day. It's a, it's a first couple workouts. Going to be sore. When you move into a new place and you just see empty rooms and windows and, and all that, and you just see the barren setting of a new home, you don't just say, ah, oh, this place isn't livable. Look, there's no beds. There's no carpet. We can't live here. You don't say that, right? Because you haven't even put your stuff down. Haven't even started moving in. Haven't even gotten situated. That's what Nebraska football is in year one. You don't look at year one and say, we can't win with this. We can't, we can't be successful here. You let it run. You give it some time to get situated. My wife and I, we just moved here from Texas to Nashville, Tennessee. How irresponsible would it be to say, we can't live here after the first month, after just showing up and looking at the apartment and saying, there's no way we can live here. Look at that. There's nothing here. That's not how this whole thing works. Anytime you move in somewhere, they tell you, give it some time. Anytime you get an appliance fixed, let's take it a step further. We said the same thing about Brian Kelly. Whether it's pipes, whether it's a computer, whatever it is, as soon as they fix it for you, what do they tell you? Turn it on, let it run. Let it run. I very much so believe the process in place at Nebraska, what Matt Rule brings, is proven. It works. He's got a track record of it working at the collegiate level. Let it run. Don't panic if year one you're sore and you're not feeling like it's going to be the match made in heaven you thought it would be. The hope here isn't for 2023. The hope is for the future of Nebraska football. Matt Rule isn't here to win in 2023. Of course, that's the expectation. I promise you, that's the expectation for him. That's why they've been attacking the portal, bringing in 11 transfers. The expectation is sustained success, to rebuild, to revamp, to reinstall a culture and a program in Lincoln, Nebraska. Okay, so I'm excited about this. I'm excited about where Nebraska's headed. To answer the question, can you trust again, Nebraska fans? Yes, you can. But perspective is vitally important to how you trust and how you go about evaluating Nebraska in 2023. But I'll tell you, man, Matt Rule, he is the law. You will do things his way. And that is exactly what Nebraska needs right now. I'm just saying. If you have not yet liked the video, now's the time. All right, we're about to move on here to questions. But like the video before we move on so we can make sure that we are bumping this video accordingly. We're still trying to nail down exactly how we want to do this going forward. We're here on Valentine's Day. We love y'all. Dion loves the portal. I said it already. But make sure you've liked the video Appreciate those starting to pour in right now. A little thumbs up helps us a ton. Appreciate it. Now, keep liking the video as we move on here. Going to bring in the man, the myth, the legend. Nick Brake, keeper of the queue. Y'all got at me on Twitter. I said, I want to hear your questions. I want to hear what you're thinking about as it pertains to the college football landscape. Hit us with your questions. You did so. We appreciate it. Now bringing on 
the heavy lifter extraordinaire, Nick Brake. Nick, happy Valentine's Day, my man. How we doing? Uh, same to you, my friend. It's good to see you, buddy. Good to see you, man. What's, uh, what's going on in the, uh, in the Twitter sphere these days? Uh, let's check. Uh, so first question, at Jake Crane underscore, what is a catch? Yeah, Crane & Co. That's a, a friend of the program, Drake Crane. What is a catch? And this is a little bit of an inside joke in terms of defining exactly what a catch is in, in terms of did he make a football move and did he get his feet down? Here's the best way I would describe that. We have a hundred and what? 148 days now till we get Hawaii at Vanderbilt. A catch to me is you secure the football, make a football move, in college, get at least one foot down. Some variation of those three things, to me, qualify as a catch. But we had this, we had this discussion, Nick, Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, that was something they were talking about. Did he make a football move? Did he catch it? So it's probably something that's going to be evolving as we move forward in terms of what is a catch. But for right now, I would say securing the football, making a football move, as in actually like making a spin move or putting your foot in the ground, changing direction, three steps, securing the football, no wobble, no, no bobble, none of that. That, to me, is a catch. How does that sound, Nick? Is that, is that airtight enough? What do we think? Uh, you know what? I like it. You should, you should have been in the white hat uh, for Super Bowl uh, earlier this week. Tell so. you what, man. I'm not throwing a flag on that last play. No, I'll no, tell you no. that. I, I'm, I'm letting them play. Let them I'm play. Letting it play. Absolutely. He, I believe the player that actually committed that penalty came out and said, yes, it was a hold. I wish they hadn't called it. Dude, I, if I'm his teammate, I'm like, how dare you say that? Yeah, you, 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 be, you better not tell him it was a penalty. You say, no, no I, I played clean the whole way. It's like that uh, insurance commercial where he touches the ball and he goes out of bounds and they, they give their team the ball in a basketball game. And he's like, coach, I touched it. It was their ball. I'm like, don't yeah. tell them that. That's a bad teammate right there. <laughs> All in good fun, obviously. But that's a catch to me, Nick. That's a catch Absolutely. to me. And I wouldn't have made that, made that, uh, made that call. Absolutely. Hey, next question coming from Jason Maxwell. Is it indictment of a head coach if he's defensively or offensively oriented for it to struggle? Jason, very good question. Before we move on here, like the video, y'all. Let's get this thing to – let me get five more likes here as we, as we move on to the next question. A little thumbs up. Helps us a ton, so we appreciate you. Jason, fair question. The way that I look at this is if you're like a, a school teacher – and you specialize in math, like you teach math at the local middle school, and your son or daughter just isn't good with numbers, just, just that they don't get it. It's not their fault they don't get it. It's not their fault that they're not gifted as, as numbers go, but when that's your specialty, when that's the language that you speak fluently, you have a great resource, so you should be good at that. So I think it is in some ways an indictment in terms of not being able to lean into what you're good at or refusing to lean into what you're good at. I feel like coaches get to the head coaching position having been a coordinator, more than likely, and you're brought there to, to win football games. And if your specialty is offense, you better bring that to the table. That's one of the reasons we brought you here. You're an offensive-minded head coach, and that's the reason why I think some people are a little bit unhappy with Brent Venables in Oklahoma. Coach, we brought you here because of your defensive resume. And we're having trouble on the defensive side of the ball. Like, help me understand this. So I would say it takes some time for Oklahoma and Brent Venables to keep an eye on that. But is it an indictment? I don't think it's incorrect to say it. I don't think it's a stretch. I would be careful to make an overall assumption on a head coach based on a couple years of a sample size. But if we're consistently having problems on one side of the football and that was your specialty, yeah, I think that is something to talk about. I think that is, in a lot of ways, a huge knock 
on that coach. So great question, Jason, but that's, that, that's the issue for me, if I'm being honest with you, Nick. I think that's got to be talked about. Okay, yeah, very well, very good, J.D. Um, last question. It's my favorite question of the day. Uh, coach Riggs asks, what group of five team will surprise us next season? J.D., show the best part of college football some love. There we go, man. And, and Nick Brake, Western Kentucky Hilltopper. Mm -hmm. Keep an eye on the Hilltoppers. That's not going to be who it is. You know? <laughs> but, hey, Austin Reed's coming back, but uh, nobody's going to need to know who WKU are next season. Yeah, I mean, hey, Austin Reed and Western Kentucky, you never know. Mm -hmm. uh, I would truly keep an eye on the Mountain West. I think Boise State is fascinating. They're a team that is just consistently, it feels like, trending the right direction. I would keep an eye on Boise State. In addition to that, it's funny because now we have a lot of these schools that were group of five that are joining Power Five conferences, whether it be a UCF or whether it be a Houston. So I think Boise State in the Mountain West is absolutely a team to watch. And uh, that's, that's the horse that I would ride there, Nick. I would say Boise State. I would also keep a, a close eye on Tulane. I think Tulane's probably the team to watch, if we're being honest here. Michael Pratt's coming back. Willie Fritz is coming back. Like Tulane is my horse, and then Boise State will be the dark horse for us when it comes to the group of five. Could also go Coastal Carolina, though, with Grayson McCall mm -hmm. coming back. Like, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of options here. So I love it. I think that's a fair question to, to ask, but those three, I would say, you want to put money evenly across those three to play for New Year's Six Bowl. I think that's a good way to go. Uh, is, is that it for us here, Big Nick? Uh, that's it. Uh, we actually have a couple questions that people are asking in the YouTube chat. Do you have a second? Right, yeah, let's go, man. I got, nothing to, I got nothing to do. Okay. Um, let's figure we get to these. Uh, millionaire Mindset. How good will USC be in the Big Ten uh, future? Ooh, a After good question. Caleb Williams. Very good question. Yeah, so we got to keep in mind here, Caleb Williams probably gone to the NFL after this season. Like, I don't think that's an unreasonable conversation to have. So a lot of that then hinges on a young Malachi Nelson, assuming that depth chart stays the same, assuming that roster stays the same. So for me, USC, I don't think the firepower offensively will ever be in question. I don't think that'll ever be something that we worry about USC. Will they be able to score points? I think even in the Big Ten, they're going to score points regardless of who's at quarterback. If Lincoln Riley is the head coach, they will score points. My concern is what wins in the Big Ten is being able to win in the trenches. Like tough teams win the Big Ten. We've seen it now. Michigan, the last two years, won the conference. Why? Because they play tough defense. They run the football. They assert their will on you. It is a line of scrimmage conference. And so for USC, they have to retool that for their team going forward. Now they, they've made a strong effort so far in the transfer portal, but you got to build at the high school level. You can't just keep going back to the portal every single year and hope that you get the right pieces or, or hope the market is hot enough to where you land the right O-line or D-line. Like For them to build at the high school level is what's going to dictate success for them. So they will always score points, always be competitive in my mind, as long as Lincoln Riley's the head coach for that offense. But the trenches, I think, is what you have to look at. So to answer your question a little bit more directly, I think they're going to fare well. I think they're going to be an upper-tier team. I'd put them... Obviously, if, if they were to enter the Big Ten this year, I think they're probably up there with Michigan, Ohio State, USC are probably the top three that you're talking about winning the conference. Now, Penn State, Sleeping Giant, I'll have Drew Aller. I mean, Wisconsin with Luke Fickle. That'll be a fun conference to watch, Nick. So I think mm -hmm. they're going to be an upper-tier team in the Big Ten. But to win the conference, got to get tougher in the trenches going forward. Yeah, That's a absolutely. great question, Nick. We got anything else in the live chat going nuts? I got one more question for you, J.D. Um, Suave Al, do you honestly think Tennessee can compete with Bama and Georgia? <sighs> well, I, I would answer to that. Uh, have before. 
They have before. I mean, they beat Alabama this past season. Now, obviously, no more Bryce Young for Alabama, no more Henry Hooker for Tennessee. Can they? Absolutely. Will they? Depends a lot on the defense. Like, I feel similar to them about, I feel about how, about how I feel about USC. Like, scoring points I don't think will ever be the reason they lose a game, consistently at least. I don't think that's going to be the thorn in their side of this anemic Tennessee offense. I don't see that being a headline, but you got to step it up on the defensive side. And the, the linebacking and defensive line group was good last year. Can they keep that consistent? We'll see. The secondary. The secondary has got to take strides going forward. So that's really what I need to see, Nick, from Tennessee in order for them to compete for the Georgias and the Bamas because those teams in the trenches, they're ferocious. Like, that's who they are. They are line of scrimmage, complete teams. They bully you up front offensively and defensively, and we saw them do that to TCU. I mean, we were watching Georgia TCU, Nick, and I don't know how many times you and I looked at each other and said, Georgia's just getting what they want, and they're doing it in the run game. They're just getting downhill and asserting their will on this TCU team. So for Tennessee to take the next step, that's what it's going to be, stacking classes at the offensive and defensive line positions at the high school level. Absolutely. We're sensing, we're sensing a theme here, man, when it comes yep. to being able to compete for conference titles. Man, you got to have the line of scrimmage. Quarterbacks are great. They're, they're important. Got to have the line of scrimmage to compete in the SEC and the Big Ten. Absolutely. J.D., that's it. Um, a lot of good chats today. And, uh, so thanks, everyone, for joining, and we'll see you Absolutely, Thursday. man. Absolutely. I will see you, what, what's today, Thursday, Tuesday? Today's Tuesday. Today's Tuesday. I'll see, I'll you, see Thursday you Thursday for uh, Coach Beamer Day. Beautiful, man. I will see you then, and we'll chop it up with Coach Beamer. Y'all appreciate you locking in with us. Happy Valentine's Day. Uh, a lot of love that we have on here for y'all for making this operation hum. We're going to be back on air Thursday 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern. Hit the bell. I'm going to talk about a lot of my socials. We'll have a post on here on our dashboard to let you know we're going to be going live, so we'll schedule that out accordingly. We appreciate y'all rocking with us, man. This is an absolute blast. Shout out to the podcast for always holding it down, whether on Apple or Spotify. We appreciate you, and we love y'all. And we're going to keep this party rolling, so we will see y'all next time. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.